Hello, I'm Dave, and shortly I'll be joined by my co-host Ash. Please be advised that the On the Pitch podcast does contain profanity. If you're offended by profanity, then you should probably find some other podcast to listen to. However, if the profanity does not bother you, please practice proper parental discretion. Greetings and salutations and welcome to the On The Pitch podcast with Ash and Dave. We're back, Ash. We're back. How the hell are you? I'm pretty good, Dave. It's been good. The weather's cooled down now, so I'm happier again. How's it been for you? Hot, but plenty of football (laughs) to keep my mind off the heat. Yeah, there's been plenty of football this week. Um... So today's podcast is going to be focused around the four quarterfinals of the Champions League. And at the end, we're going to have a quick look ahead to the Europa League semifinals that are coming up uh, over the next two days. So um, should we start with the uh, first quarterfinal, uh, Atlanta PSG? Yeah, let's go for it. Um, I'll let you start with your thoughts on this game because um, it was an interesting one. PSG were lucky. Let's just put it that way. Considering that it was an, what was it? Was it an own goal? I didn't watch um, too much of the match, but they got lucky because it literally comes down to, what, stoppage time? The 90, 90 plus three, when Chupo Moting, which is a very interesting last name, by the way, and I probably butchered that, <laughs> scores to put PSG over the line. I thought Atlanta, when I watched the uh, highlights, I thought Atlanta played well, and it's just, they could have won. I believe they could have won. I just think PSG gets that one thing that you need in cup competitions. It's called luck. And they had it because I don't think they, they should have won that match. They were, there was nothing convincing about PSG looking back at the highlights. Considering it took them, what, Marquinhos scores in the 90th to equalize and then the aforementioned goal by Moting in the 90 plus third. So, I mean, PSG got lucky. Um. What I will say throughout the game is, uh, first half, it was a very even contest. But if Neymar had his shooting boots on, I mean, to be fair to Neymar, he had a good game, apart from his finishing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, his build-up play was fantastic. But on a different day, PSG could have been 3 or 4 in the lap at half-time just through Neymar. Because he had so many glorious chances to score goals in that first half. And it, I mean, just didn't work for him. Um so, yeah, obviously, Mario Pasalic scored a beautiful goal. Um, obviously, he's a permanent player there now. Um, but he scored a brilliant goal curling into the top corner. And I th- at that point, I thought, you know, Atlanta could go on and win this. But obviously, when you've got the players PSG have, they've always got a chance. And I think Mbappe coming on second half changed the game because he had that energy, that pace, that, you know, doing what Mbappe does. And he, caused them, and he caused them problems. And... <laughs> But I do think that over the course of the game, I feel that PSG deserve to win. I won't argue with that. I do feel they deserve to win. But just because of, you know, the chances they amassed and, you know, a good side will find goals. And that's exactly what they did. No matter how, how late it was, they found two goals and it put them through. Heartbreaking for Atlanta, but they can take heart in how far they got and how well they played. See, but at the course, same time, though, with a good with a good side, you'll find goals and win, which PSG did. But at the same time, if you're that good, you finish those chances, Neymar. If you're that yeah, good, but, when those opportunities are there, you put the match to bed the sooner, the better. Oh, and you don't oh, course, wait to the 90th, 90th plus fucking minute to make miracles, which is fine. They still won. But my whole point is, too, that the... the the counter to that argument is you can also say that really good sides will put you away. I mean, we'll get to it later on with Bayern Munich and what happened there when we we get there. But sides like that, you get sides like the real big boys like Bayern, who the opportunities are there, they take them, and then they bury you. Where PSG, I don't oh, think we're on that level just yet. And that was against a side that they knew they were better against, and they were favored, and they won. But, I mean, if they if granted, let's say they make it to the final and they get one of the big boys you got to bury those chances or else you have no chance in essence. So I'm just, you know, it, it can be made either way, but you make a good point. They found ways to win because a win's a win and goals yeah, count um, no matter what minute you score them in. Last I checked. PSG, they didn't create 
I mean, they had chances, but they all fell to Neymar, who just did not have his shooting boots on. And uh, Galini, the goalkeeper, not Galini, that was the other one. I can't remember his name. Um, the Atlanta goalkeeper had a good game. Um, stopped Mbappe a few times uh, after Mbappe came on because Mbappe had chances. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't at fault for the goals. It was just brilliant play from PSG. You know, like I said, those those players clicking, passing the ball and putting it in the dangerous areas. And Eric Supermoting wouldn't have been the player I thought would have got the winning goal. But there we are. It's football. Anything can happen. But as for PSG, um, obviously semi-final now equaled their best ever record, which was God knows how many years ago. Um, do I do I think they're going to get past Leipzig? No, and there's a reason for that. The midfield of PSG isn't great. It's too mm. defense. It's too defensive, and with Verratti out injured, I can't see them doing anything in the semi-final. That's a good segue because one of the other quarterfinals featured Leipzig beating Atletico de Madrid 2-1. Yeah, um, I said earlier in the week to you that I thought Atletico Madrid would win this 1-0. I thought they'd get a goal and just defend it out. But to be fair play to Leipzig, they played... Upamecano had a brilliant game, to be fair to him. But Leipzig, you know, got the goals and uh, they've knocked out Atletico Madrid. Um, Danny Olmo and Tyler Adams with the goals. So even without Timo Werner, they're proving they can still get goals. Julian Nagelsmann, that man, that man could fucking coach. I can start there with Leipzig. That that man can coach. He's very young as well. Yeah, he's actually. I think he's younger than I am. Actually, he's thirty-three. Sorry. I want to say thirty-three. I want to say thirty-two or thirty-three. Well, he's. I know he's younger than me, but he's doing a. F- fantastic fucking job with Leipzig. Um, I didn't see Atletico winning this one because Atletico, they don't offer anything going forward. They, they offer nothing going forward. I watched the highlights of this match. I even went back on YouTube and watched, skimmed through it to watch certain parts of the match and Atletico were just torrid. Offered no creativity and a lot of those big names that they signed to come in and do something did absolutely nothing. There was nothing going forward. And there's only so much you can do with that Diego Simeone mentality of, of defending and staying solid and staying narrow. Eventually, though, like you say, the, the way you win f- football matches <clears throat> is to not concede as much as the opponent. But, I mean, if... You can sit there all day and, and defend, but if you're not attacking or you don't offer anything going forward, you're not going to create chances because I didn't see Atletico create much going forward. It was quite the tepid performance from Atletico. Where Leipzig were lively, their midfield was outstanding. You mentioned um, the two goal scorers, Olmo and uh, that American fellow, Tyler Adams. Americans don't get excited because <laughs> he'll be shit when he puts a national team shirt on. <clears throat> but aside from that, it, it, Leipzig are exciting. They play attacking football. Nagelsmann also does a great job with his tactics and does a great job man-managing. And he outclassed a pretty experienced manager in Diego Simeone. Atletico just, again, I think that, that stubbornness, and I love Diego, but that stubbornness with that style of play with the pieces he has in place does not fit. And that was proof. This match, excuse me, this match was proof. Of that, of that point, like the only goal that they mustered was a penalty in the seventy-first minute. Yeah, um, I, like I said, at the start of the game, I thought you know Leipzig without Timo Werner might lack lack a little bit in the attacking areas because you know we've all seen how key he's been for them over the last couple of years mm-hmm. and how influential he's been. So I thought you know they might have missed him, and there might not have been that attacking impotence that they normally have. But I was wrong. Um, as for Athletic Madrid, you mentioned that the players they've brought in haven't done anything. Thomas Lamar cost them 70 million euros and he's not registered a goal or an assist this season. Wow. And I just think that this Athletic Madrid side, they're not going to, this is as far as they're going to go. They're not going to win La Liga. Even despite what the situation at Barcelona, they're not going to win La Liga. They're not going to win the Champions League for a few years. And now the players that they had, like, you know, Griezmann's and Goding, you know, Goding was a leader back there. He's gone. 
Griezmann's mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. And you look at their three strikers now in Douglas, not Douglas Costa, Diego Costa, sorry, Diego Costa, Alvaro Morata, and Jao Felix. You're not going to win anything with those three strikers. Diego Costa can't even stay fit these days, and he is far past his best. Alvaro Morata was a player that had all the talent in the world and just didn't reach that potential. And Jao Felix is one of the most overhyped strikers in world football. I mean, he had half a good season in the Europa League at Benfica, and I don't know who made the decision to think, right, we'll pay the 113 million they want for him. Because it was a, they should have got a striker from La Liga who was proven in that league who could get goals. I mean, Jao Felix is not a Simeone player. He's not big and strong. He's not robust. He's a flair player. And Atletico Madrid, you know, they like workhorses. They like big, strong players. They're not mm-hmm. known for their pace. And that's probably why Thomas Lamar hasn't worked out either. But, you make a great point there. That is the truth if I ever fucking heard it. I just think that Atletico are also going backwards. And now with Jan Oblak's future, that could be up in the air. Uh, you know, he's made comments himself. Um, but uh, I'll just mention this quickly. He's been linked to Chelsea, who are looking in a forward direction. Would you want to stay at a complete team that, you know, was nowhere near the top of La Liga? I mean, in terms of Real Madrid and Barcelona, mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid were nowhere near them. And in terms of the Champions League, I mean, quarterfinals... You expect to be doing better with the players they've got there, but I mean, even Sal could be off, I reckon, maybe. But I just can't see Atletico Madrid for a while doing any better than what they already are. As for Leipzig, though, as for RB Leipzig, well, they say very well. Upe Meccano, who's just signed a new contract there, had a brilliant game. Um, Olmo, who has been getting better and better. Since, I know he joined in January and didn't get too many goals at the start, but he started to really shine now and get those goals and assists. Um, Tyler Adams is a good young prospect. I know you say even though he's American, but seems to be a good move for Americans in the Bundesliga. It seems to be a good fit because there's quite a few out there that are doing well. But this is why I think Leipzig will have the edge over PSG in the uh, semi-final because of the midfielders they've got and how hard they work compared to the Paris midfield. And I think that will be the game because. As Atlanta are very good attacking, but you don't. You always worry about them defensively. But I think Leipzig have a much better back line than At Atlanta, with the ability to go forward and score goals. So I think that they can undo Paris. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, so yeah, I reckon RB Leipzig will make the Champions League final. Oh shit, we've done a lot of agreeing lately. <laughs> um, it's crazy, but um, yeah, I think for Atlético Madrid, they need to look at themselves. And think, right, we're a long way off where, where we thought we would be. Mm-hmm. You know, because a couple of years ago, they were one of the best sides in Spain. They were. You know, they made two Champions League finals to lose to Real Madrid, and that's going to have a mental effect. Uh, especially the one they lost 4-1, which was, well, nobody wants to lose 4-1 in a Champions League final. But, you know, obviously selling Griezmann and replacing him with Jao Felix, which has not worked. No. So they need to take a look at themselves and think where they're going next because some of their key players might not be there come the start of the next season. Now, before we move on, Atletico di Madrid, is it, more the, is it more the issue of them signing players that don't fit Simeone's system? Or is it the fact that Simeone's stubborn and is having a hard time adjusting to what modern football has become? Because they're not really an attacking side, like you said. He doesn't like the fifth player players. He likes the old school players that are going to roll up their sleeves, do the dirty work, hold up play, be physical. And it seems like they're, I've noticed maybe that there might be some type of strife there because they're like, hey, we're going to go buy these shiny new players that are flare players. And he's kind of like, well, I'm not going to adjust my system. Do you think there's anything internally going on that may have caused some of this mess? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. I mean... We've seen it with certain managers who are tactically inept, who just want to play one way the whole game, no matter what. And I know I know they came from 2-0 down at Anfield to beat Liverpool 3-2. And that, fair enough to them, because not many people can win at Anfield. But how often do we see it from Atletico Madrid where they score more than one or two in a game? It is so rare to see. And I just think that, 
you know, it's okay buying the flair players, but you have to get the best out of them. Or you have to play a system that suits them so they can be the best. And when you've got players like Thomas Lamar and Joe Felix who haven't lived up to their price tags, you're, you're asked questions. And, you know, Yannick Carrasco, who they sold to China and then bought back, just goes to show that how poor Thomas Lamar has been. They've had to go and sign, re-buy a player they've sold. Um, I think Simeone needs to think about his style. Yes, it's okay to be defensive, but have something going forward. Because you can sit back for a whole game, but if you go 1-0 down in the 90th minute, you're probably not going to win a game. And that's what happened. That's what Leipzig. Obviously, they went 1-0 up five minutes after half-time. Okay, after that comes, got back into the game through a penalty. And then Tyler Adams will be two minutes from time. You, know, you don't give yourself a chance of going through. You don't give yourself a chance to win the game if you don't attack. And like I said, it's about finding balance. And this athletic on Madrid side don't have it. Not at all. And I think Spanish football is really starting to go backwards. I mean, there's not a single Spanish team in the semi-final for God knows how long. So I think it's the first time since 2005, I believe. Yeah. Could you believe that it's going to be the first time since, I want to say, oh. Four oh five. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh three oh four. That we're not gonna see. Um, that just spurred a thought. Just random thought. We're not gonna see Messi or Ronaldo for the first time. I think since oh three oh four at this stage in the Champions League, which brings me nicely to our next score. And if uh, my brother Daniel's listening to this part of the podcast, cover your ears, guy. <laughs> Barcelona two, Bayern Munich eight, and I'd be lying. If I didn't tell the people out there that I thoroughly enjoyed this, because oh, I, I you know, people made fun of Chelsea for losing seven-one over two games. Yeah, imagine if this. Imagine if this had been two legs, <laughs> they would have had about fifteen that. goals. Um, but so where do you want to start with this one? Do you, do you, where where do we even start? For Barcelona, it was an Alaba own goal in the seventh minute, and Luis Suarez, who's overrated, in the fifty-seventh, and then Bayern Munich. I mean. Thomas Muller just, he wins, he scores, he's awesome. I mean, Perisic, Gnabry, Kimmich. I don't know if people know, but the sky's blue and water's wet and Lewandowski, he scores goals. He had one in the 82nd and even, holy shit, even Coutinho showed up and scored twice in the 85th and 89th. I thought uh, Lewandowski actually had a quiet game. Considering the scoreline. Yeah, that is quiet. <laughs> he got a goal and an assist. Actually, eight by minute players got assists, so... That's pretty incredible as well. Yeah, it, it's... Where do we even... So do you want to start with Barcelona's capitulation or do you want to start with Bayern's brilliance? I think we should start with Bayern and Hansi Flick. Oh, go for it, sir. What a job he has done. They haven't lost a game since December. Yes. And since then, Leipzig are the only side that have stopped them score, winning and scoring. Mm. How... What a team they have put together. I mean, the back four is strong and quick, so you can't get them in, you know, you can't nudge them off the ball or outrun them. The goalkeeper, despite his age, is still one of the best in the world. Alfonso Davies, what a talent he is. Mm. And he's, not even, he's not even a left-back. Like, he's been converted into a left-back because of injury, and he has thrived there. I mean, he sat Nelson Semedo on his ass and just went past him like he weren't there. The midfield and crush on that guy. I mean, it's not just that. It's the depth they have. They've got Alaba and Boateng as their starting centre back. So one of them's not there. Uh, Lucas Hernandez, World Cup winner, and they've got um, Nicolas Sula, who is well. I wouldn't want to get into a fight with him. (laughs) But and you know, those two have been injured this season, which just goes to show testament to the depth they have as well. Obviously, Kimmich filling in at right back, who's Joshua Kimmich is one of the best players in the world. Whether he's at CDM or right back, he is one of the best in the world. Because maybe he may not be the quickest, but he's so intelligent. As as for the midfield, that midfield is just they have so many options in there. Goretzka, Thiago, Muller, Corentin Tolisso, Cuisance, the young player, Coutinho can play in midfield. Javi Martinez can play in midfield when he's I know he's old, but he can still play. And then they're attacking three, as in, you know, Nabri. Nabry, uh, Lewandowski, and Komen it normally is. 
then you add Perisic to that. Coutinho can also play out wide. Joshua Zerksley, who's looking good, who's been good this season. And then you add Leroy Sane to that, plus whoever they buy. When when are they going to lose a game? Because right now, you look at every team in the world, you can't think of anyone that can outplay them right now. Nope. And they have goals from everywhere on the pitch. I mean, when your left back sets up your right back and your right back storming into the six-yard box to tap home across. It's just incredible, the freedom. But I think the credit has to go to the manager because they were fourth when he took over and they weren't in a great place. You know, they weren't doing well in the league. They were losing games. They got hammered 5-1 by Frankfurt. And then I know he's, I know Hansi Flick lost two games uh, to Gladbach and Leverkusen, I believe it was. But they haven't lost since. And, you know, this year they've lost, haven't even lost this year. Haven't lost since December. And they've drawn one game in that time and won every other game. And they don't have off days, which is even harder. You know, I thought it was bad that what they did to Chelsea, but this is a whole nother level. <laughs> I, I generally don't like either one of these teams, but I have a strong dislike for Spanish football. So, yeah, the less of the two evils for me was Bayern Munich. I knew Bayern Munich was going to win, but this wasn't even. Oh, win. yeah. This was, this was like, this was a straight ass whooping. <laughs> like, I, I said to my brother at the start, I said, Bayern will win this 3-1. Uh, yeah, I, that's what I thought. I thought it, it would have been like 3-1, 4-1, and then and I wasn't watching it. it was, uh, I wasn't watching. I was getting the updates from you, funny enough, because I was, what the fuck was I doing? I was probably doing something related to fucking coaching or refereeing or some shit. And I remember you getting back and you texted me and I'm like, he's got to be fucking with me. Long and behold, no, you were not. Don't. Alex said the same thing. I thought, because at the time I said it was 7-2. He was like, no way. I was like, oh yeah. And then mm-hmm. Coutinho scored again. I was like, that was the icing on the cake for me. Knowing well, that he's their most expensive player ever. And he comes off the bench against them and grabs an assist and two goals. Oh. But that's sending a message though. I'm glad you brought that up. That's sending a message because with Hansi Flick, and we were just talking about it, with Atletico in the Simeone situation, Hansi Flick came in there and he has successfully taken his players and not forced them to play a certain way, rather did the one thing you're supposed to do, which should be the golden rule of fucking managing and coaching. Find some shit that suits the players, and Hansi's done that, and man-managed well, and wouldn't you know, Byron... Is going to go on and pretty much win the Champions League. Can't nobody tell me different. No, I mean, what we said, I said once they got to the knockout stages, even before, well, before that, they Chelsea, they win the Champions League. Um, at the start of the season, I would have said Real Madrid, but after the group stages, and, you know, this Bayern side are just, they are the best in Europe right now by a country mile. There is nobody that even comes remotely close to them. No. Uh, credit to Hansi Flick, though, like you said, just to accentuate that point. Hansi yeah. came in, they were in a bad place. He got them back to what we know Byron to be. And then the way, if you watch his, the tactics, how he has his midfield dominating. And if you think you're getting, that, getting past that back four, good luck with that shit, too. Because it's not going to happen. Look what he's done with Alfonso Davies. The kid, I think, was a winger. He was. He was a winger. Now he's a daggone defender but he's an attack-minded defender and it's not one of those where he's just going to be attack 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 he knows and he is learning and he'll get better at it at defending as well so now you've taken a kid and created versatility with the talent that he naturally possesses look at how many players in that byron side can play more than one position tell me that doesn't create a shit ton of tactical flexibility for a manager like i'm gonna tell you what if i'm a manager and i have that much flexibility in my side, that I know I can play guys at different positions, and they're going to be effective. Not just play the, be able to play, but effectively play those positions. The tactical flexibility that that allows you is amazing. Hansi knows this, and look what he's done. I think when you've got Lewandowski, who's got, what, 54 goals this season now in for club and country, which is just incredible. And it is a shame they've cancelled the Ballon d'Or. It's, he would have won it. By a, he's been so good this year. And I know Haaland has also scored a lot of goals this year, but Lewandowski's on another level. Yeah, and Lewandowski's like 
Lewandowski is a god. Holland's just a mere mortal at this point. Sorry, Aaron Holland, I love you, but Lewandowski yeah. at this point is just a fucking attacking god. And I'm going to say this now. I've said it before a lot of times. Thomas Muller is the most underrated player of the 21st century. He's Preach. won everything. He's won the League Cups, the Champions League, the mm-hmm. World Cup. And that's another thing Bayern have got. They have got World Cup winners throughout that squad. Neuer, yep. Muller, uh, Boateng, Pavard, uh, who's Hernandez. Hernandez. Hey, I'm not sure if Thiago is part of the Spanish squad, but he's still a very experienced player. They have so much experience, and they're combining that with the youngsters they've got as well, like Serge Gnabry, who has been, he's been a phenomenon at Bayern Munich. Not bad for a player who couldn't get in the West Brom side. <laughs> right. <laughs> Remember when Tony Pulis said he wouldn't amount to nothing? It's probably about oh. to win the Champions League. Tony Pulis should be talking. Tony Pulis, when he played, his only talent was the fact that he could walk onto a football pitch and put his boots on. Because if Tony Pulis recalls his playing career, it wasn't all that great. But that's either here nor there. And now we have to go to the other side of this, which is, well, we've been, this has probably been coming for a long time. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot, and it finally came to fruition. I mean, I don't know. Would you like me to start, or would you would you want to start? Well, the decline of Barcelona. Um, they've got problems from the pitch to the top of the club. They've got problems mm-hmm. everywhere. And it all stems from that idiot in charge, Bartomeu, who Messi doesn't like, the players don't like, the fans don't like. So, you know, that's the first problem. Um, uh, you know... The Barca job, who's going to take it? Because when they have presidential elections, it's not like a normal club. They have elections and the next elections are in 2021. And the president who's favourite for the job has said he wants to put Xavi in charge and Xavi wants to work under him. So you think of that now. Who's going to take the job for a year with that squad knowing they're going to lose their job at the end of the season? Me. Obviously, yeah, maybe, but you know what I mean. Like, surely I just, I, I wish. Um, <laughs> hey, it'd be great, it'd be great on my resume, but seriously, Pochettino's not gonna problem, take it. Though. I mean, and, and the players they've got, I mean, we've discussed this before Suarez, Messi, Alba, PK, Busquets, Rakitic, Vidal. That's just like fucking Pianic of all people. All of these players are over 30 years of age. And even the younger players they've bought, like Coutinho, Griezmann, Dembele, De Jong, the money they spent on those players has not worked out. Even Malcolm, who's in Russia now, I believe, £40 million on him did not work out. And you look at that side and you want, and you want to know, like, which one of those players is going to stand up? Because I, think Messi, I, I even think Messi's done with Barcelona at this point. He won't leave this year. But when his contract is up next year, I think I see him leaving. I don't think he's going to want to stay at that club anymore because it's just become a joke in Europe over the last few years. It's things are bad at Barcelona. I mean, look, they, I mean, the Roma game, they were 4 1 up at the new camp. You think, oh, Barcelona have won this, lose the second leg 3 0, crash out. 3 0 up at the new camp against Liverpool, lose 4 0 at Anfield, crash out. And this year, you know, yeah, okay, they, got past Na- they got past Napoli. Fair enough. Nobody expected Napoli to win that game at the new Camp. Nobody. And then, but this, you know, Barcelona is supposed to be one of the top sides in Europe. And mm-hmm. to lose 8-2 in the Champions League quarterfinal, it's unheard of. I mean, the biggest record of winning the Champions League on aggregate was 8-2, when Real Madrid beat Apoel Nicosia. Bayern just did that in one game. And it was just so easy for them. As for Barcelona, their substitutes were showing more passion than the players on the pitch. Says it all. Well, to the contrary, behind the flick, Kike said the end. Este tipo no sabe quién la pinga está haciendo. For me to translate that in English, Kike said the end has not a fucking clue to what he's doing. He doesn't. He doesn't. Tactically, he doesn't. He's a terrible man manager. I can tell you that right now. Because there's no reason why, right? Philip Coutinho <laughs> is scoring a brace against his parent club. He put out a tw- lead fixture, no less. Did you see the tweet he put out as well? No, I didn't see it's, that. Uh, he, he tweeted, um, "Today we put out the uh, today we played our junior club and I scored two goals." Like as if you know the fans are not going to like that because he didn't turn up for Barcelona. We're in a bind. He's actually had a very good year. Yeah, but and see, he's not. That's 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 why not to cut you off. 
But that's that's what I was getting to. That goes back to poor fucking managing and coaching. Musetien has this idea that he wants to play a certain t- certain style, and just like Diego's having that problem, Atletico de Madrid, Barcelona's having that same problem as far as just a management, coaching, and on the pitch. You can't you can't have this set of ideas and try to force it. You know what I'm saying? That's like me being a U10 coach and having my U10 players try to play like fucking high schoolers. It's not you can't put a round piece in a square peg. You know what I mean? Or a square peg. I'm sorry. Yeah. In a round. Well, I will hole. say it's Setian didn't sign Coutinho, so it was Valverde. But again, the last couple of bars on the managers have all been clueless. Yes, they've won the league. Fair enough. But winning the league for Barcelona, well, they didn't win that this year. They've won nothing. Which they won is, nothing. And Barcelona knows that winning the league ain't shit at this point, at this juncture either. Because what they no, that, really want is the Champions League. When was the last time they won the Champions League? 20, what, 11? 14 or 15, I believe. 14 or 15. Look, even I don't remember that anyway. That's either here nor there. That's how much I pay but attention to the fucking Spanish winning. But All the players they've amassed are on the wrong side of 30 now. Well, it's not and even that, too. They're buying the wrong players. How many times have we sat on this podcast and talked about what the fuck is the purpose of having Antoine Griezmann in the side? Oh, don't even get me started on For that. For starters, not... it, again, it is it is a, a it is a proper clusterfuck from the board level to the very well, to, to the pitch from management that's why to the Eric, That's probably why Eric Abadal and the manager have both been sacked because but there's a disconnect between the board and the club. Like we all know that Messi and the boss on the board do not get along. And you know, when you've pissed off one of your um you know, basic well the best, best player, player in Barcelona shirt on. Exactly. And, you know, when you can't even keep him happy, he's got a year left on his contract. Hell, I would not be surprised if he left this summer. I would not. I mean, PK himself said that if he has to go to better the club, he'll go. And I think it's at that point now where not one of those players can stand up and fight because that club is going backwards. And when Messi does go, because he's not going to last forever... When Messi does go and that core of players who are all over 30 who are, well, they're all past their bloody best at this point. When they're all gone, what do Barcelona have? Because they haven't made the most of their academy. They've got a couple in there, like Ricky Puig, Ansu Fati, Araujo, the centre-back. They've had Tadibo and Miranda out alone at Schalke, but they've not had a good year. You look at that Barcelona side and think, this could be a side that uh, could, be, could go like AC Milan. Not to the same extreme, but it could happen. Because they've got nothing in that side right now that looks for a future. They haven't got a future right now. And when you're selling 24-year-old centre midfielders like Artur to Juventus and then for 72 million, you think, okay, that's a very good piece of business. Until you go and buy Miriam Pjanic, who's 30 for 60 million. Like, who is running that club? And do they even know what football is? Or do they have any idea how to run a football club? Probably not. The managers need to do better, too, than the last two. But like I said, nobody is going to take that job. No top manager is going to take that, babysit that club for a year. Apparently, Pochettino won't take the job because he was Espanol manager. And he said that five years ago. That he's never managed Barcelona, but money he would talks. never would. But it's more to your point, though. Who's going to walk into such a precarious situation where you basically know you're being leased for a year? I mean, let's, let's keep it real. Like, a manager walks into that job, they're basically, for one year, you're going to sit there, and as you mentioned, and babysit. So you basically know you're going to get sacked. You're literally just a bridge. Yeah, because Nobody Xavi wants that shit. I mean, but, you know, Barcelona, si quiere, tú me puedes llamar. I mean, you, you guys can call me. I'll, I'll, I'll move to Catalonia for a year, and, you know, anyway. Yeah. But nobody, but Xavi... no top manager is going to take that job. Um, I've heard a bunch of names thrown around. Pochettino's been mentioned. Allegri's been mentioned. Can't see that happening. Ronald Koeman's been mentioned. Ronald, yeah, who used to... See, this is my thing, though. Why? Because I think Koeman used to actually play for Barcelona under Cruyff and him and Pep were teammates, if I remember correctly. He did. And me being a Cruyffian, I fucking love that man, God rest his soul, having followed all that, and, you know, he's got his style, and then all these guys became managers. But there's nothing about Ronald Koeman that screams fucking winning to me. Not a thing. Not like, why? Xavi's over there. He's what, in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, he's refused to work for the current president of Barcelona. He turned him down. Okay, so there's that. 
He's also signed an extension with a Saudi club he's at. There's that. And I mean, Kuman's not going to work. Kuman couldn't even do shit at Everton, for fuck's sake. He's and got the Dutch, got Dutch national team doing Ooh, fairly actually, well. Yeah, they've been quite good lately, the Dutch side. Got them back into competitions. Got them yeah. competitive again. But the, that's the thing with, with the difference between the club football and international football. Is club football, you got to grind that bitch out every day. International football, you see them when you see them kind of a thing. I just think that... I just, I don't know. There's nothing about Kuman or Shabby. And I know every manager's got to start somewhere. And Shabby's, you know, he's getting his, his feet wet in the Saudi league. And that's fine. Football's football, no matter where you coach it. The only thing that, that differentiates everything is the level of competition and talent and blah, 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 blah. But my thing is, is who, like you said, who in the right mind is going to walk into that situation knowing that they're going to be sacked at the end of the year? Could you see that maybe instead of them hiring Xavi, do you think that maybe after what's happened at Man City, which we'll get to in a minute, maybe Pep could go back to Barcelona? Now, that's interesting because Pep said he wanted to end his career in Barcelona, but he wanted to do so as a youth academy coach because he came up through La Masia. Oh, I mean... So there's that. I mean, the thing is, Pep will be welcome back with open arms in Barcelona, but I think that's one thing that Spanish football need to learn, and they need to learn it quick. Ticker tacker, fast passing football does not work anymore. It's done. Mm-hmm. The same way that Chelsea won the 2004 Premier League, just defensive, it's done. It's these done. Days it's, these days, it's about fitness, sharpness, pressing, winning the ball back in midfield, and, you know, that's how it's done. Well, not to that's mention, how- we all know, though, this, this comes in. This comes in waves, doesn't it, for lack of better terms? Oh, Every yeah. league goes to, like, there was a time where England was shit. And the Premier League wasn't the greatest league in the world. And Italy was the greatest league in the world for some time. And it just, this is just part of, of the footballing life cycle with leagues. Now it's Spain has to figure their shit out. Well, I will say is, though, people who, you know, I know that we're not biggest fans of the French league, but for two French sides to be in the semifinal is just incredible on their part, which I think is you know, testament to how well they've done in Europe this year. Um, yeah, moving that on, is I'm, impressive too, by the way, because even there, wasn't their league um, postponed. postponed? Yeah, it was postponed earlier, early in the season, so they've not played for a while. And yes, you can say they've got the fitness angle, but they've been playing preparation games. Mm-hmm. And they've also, you know, when they, they would have been out of the uh, phase. They wouldn't have been, you know, like Man City, who just finished the season, everyone's fully fit. So we'll move on to that game now. Um mm. Leon, who finished, who you know, on the points per game basis, finished seventh in um, league one. So they need to win the Champions League to be in the Champions League next season. Um, played brilliantly against Man City. Yeah, Manchester City won. Leon three. Can't say I saw that one coming. I mean, that was a scoreline I thought, but not in the way it happened. I thought Leon would sneak a win because I said to my brother before the game, I said, "I've got a feeling Leon are going to knock Man City out." Didn't think it'd be three one. But I thought they could knock them out. But Pep got his tactics wrong. He benched most of his creative players to match up Leon's system. I mean, okay, there's 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 a way to do this. And there's the right way to do it, and there's the wrong way. He got it wrong. Yeah. If he, if he had put his creative players on the pitch and they controlled the game like they're supposed to, they could have won this game easily. But you know what? Credit to Leon. They defended well. They got goals. Well. And Ed- not only did they defend well, though, we all know City's biggest weakness is if they don't possess the ball, they're not great at the back either. And I no, think they really did a great ball. job of exposing that. Edison's being found out now as well, because mm-hmm. he's not hes not the keeper he was last season. No. I know, okay, I know he won the Golden Glove in the Premier League, but he's made some really bad errors this season, which we didn't see last season. Well, no, by last season, I... egregious ones, too. Yeah, and... You know, Moussa Dembele getting two goals off the bench. Maxwell Cornet getting his fourth goal in four games against Man City. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Leon, fair play to them. Fair play to them because they have to overcome Juventus as well, which is no easy task. No, they, they've taken out the Italian champion. They've taken out the second place, second place side in the Premier League, albeit it was a lopsided second place because I forget how far they were behind that team whose name I shall not mention because they are irrelevant. Um, but it's like you said though they, he got it wrong all the players that should have played for the most part I don't think did and then your best your best player in my opinion which is Kevin De Bruyne is the only one that scores and he scores in the 69th 
I think missing Aguero as well doesn't help them because Gabriel Jesus can score goals, but he is not Sergio Aguero. No, and he's, he's not, not consistent ha- either. No, he's not half the player Sergio Aguero is. Shit. It, but it's not only that, too, because I think there's only so much. Even if, let's say, the creative players were in, Lyon maybe still sneaks to win because even then you still got to defend. Did you see the miss that Sterling had as well at 2-1? Oh, oh Lord. Now, there's a reason why when he plays for England, Harry Kane is like, nah, I'm good, bro. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just take this. Look, man, I like Raheem Sterling, but the elephant in the room for him is the lack of finishing, and that costed City. He puts that chance away. Maybe we're having a different conversation. But for me, Manchester City won the lack of, to just to further your point, the lack of creative, creative spark on the pitch, the lack of defense because they're not strong at the back. That's everybody's like, oh, it's because Laporte's not there. Bro, you need more than one person to defend because last Laporte, I, time I checked, time? It, it takes more than one person to defend. And then, you know, you're right. They do miss Sergio Aguero up front, but for as good as Sergio Aguero and Kevin De Bruyne are, he's still got to defend. And that, that's, I'm fixated on the whole he doesn't defend thing. I don't think Rodri is that good, in my opinion. No, he's, he's not. He's not as good as he was made out to be. And then you're trying to play what's-his-face. Um... Oh, I can't remember his name for City. Well, the left back, Joe Cancelo. No, he's a he's a CDM, and it's sometimes Pep will drop him in to play. Um, Fernandinho. Thank you, Fernandinho. He'll try to play him at centre back. Like you can't keep doing that. Fernandinho is not tall enough to be centre back for one. You can just put the ball over the top of him. He's not going to win any aerial battles. You know where I was going with that. Yep. <sighs> it's okay to plug and play in certain matches. That's fine. But when you're in, for fuck's sake. You're playing a Champions League quarterfinals fixture. You can't afford to be doing things like that. He played a back three as well. And I get it. But, I mean, at some point, Pep had time to prepare for this. And Lyon, Lyon, the beauty of, for that, for them, was there was no pressure on them. What else screwed Man City over is why would you change a tried and trusted formation to play three at the back? Like, just because that's, of... That's Pep overthinking. Okay. Joe Cancelo... Watching him, right back, he's brilliant. He was brilliant for Juventus last season. He was one of the best right backs in Europe. But Pep has not used him properly. And Joe Cancelo does not have a left foot. That was evident from last night's game. Every time he tried to cross, it went nowhere near the box. It either went behind the goal, over the goal, off the other side of the pitch. You know, he's bought a £60 million player there. If you include the fee with Danilo as well, going to Juventus. A £60 million player who, for the majority of the season, he sat on the bench in favour of Zinchenko or that Benjamin Mendy, who's never bloody fit. And Kyle Walker. Two are very error prone, by the way, those two that you just mentioned. I mean, you play Kyle Walker at right back, who, you know, he's been City's running right back for years. That's fair enough. You don't just come in and displace the player. But you spent £60 million on a player who's basically been Ah. a bench warmer. Kyle Walker, though, hasn't covered himself in glory either because he does he does get up the pitch well. His crosses are great. But if he's too far up the pitch, he does get burned, and he does not have good recovery speed. And, they, yeah, and while, we have seen instances in other fixtures that Manchester, Manchester City have participated in where we have seen him get toasted. What I don't get is Pep is, I don't, remember, I don't even know if Pep has ever played a back three. No, I he can't. traditionally plays a back four. I don't know why he's tinkering with that. Because what his tactics, what he'll do is it will look like a th- if he plays a 4-3-3, there are times where it will look like he's playing three at the back because he will invert a fullback, which is usually Kyle Walker. So he'll play with that inverted fullback in the midfield to gain the numerical advantage playing in the midfield, trying to get the ball forward. But the problem with that is the, my aforementioned issue individually with Kyle Walker is, okay, if you're going to be the inverted fullback filling in that space in the midfield to gain the advantage, you also got to be able to have that recovery pace because if you get beat, now you got a problem. Because even though you got three at the back, you still have one flank that's exposed and you can start having those combination plays and creating in turn as the opposition, the numerical overloads to be able to create the chances moving forward. I mean, but what the fuck do I know? Well, again, though, is, um, okay, I understand that some managers want to match up, but you need the right personnel to do it. And you need to have you need to have played that system before to understand it. Okay, exactly. so Chelsea, let's let's take Chelsea as an example, or Wolves. Wolves can play that three back system or five back system, depending on whether you're attacking or defending, because they've got the personnel to do it and they've played it at times this season. It's tried mm-hmm. and tested. 
Man yeah. City, I don't think they've even pl- tried three at the back this season. Not to mention, one of them's not even a centre back. And he's what? What is Fernandino? Five foot nine, maybe? Five yeah, ten? He's not the tallest in the world. Um, and then you've got Eric Garcia, who is relatively inexperienced. And then you've got Americ Laporte, who has been, you know, he's a very good centre back. I won't take that away, but he's missed a chunk of the season through injury. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay, then your other two options are John Stones and Nicholas Otamendi. <laughs> Neither of them are good, by the way. No. Well, I, I don't think John Stones is a terrible defender. I just don't think he's the Pep Guardiola type of defender. He can't play the way Pep wants to play. But okay, you've got Nathan, Nathan Ake's coming in. That's done. But is, is he really an improvement? I mean, he wasn't ah, a born. He wasn't was a born side that. that got relegated. And I, I like Nathan Ake, but is he Man City quality? I'm not sure. Maybe playing alongside Laporte, he'll be better. But only time will tell. But he was in a Bournemouth side that got relegated. But you know, and you can't blame that all on the other defence because you're you're a unit. You will have to work together. So you can't just blame one person. And that Man City defence as a unit, including the goalkeeper and Rodri in holding midfield, they've been dreadful this season. It's no surprise Liverpool have won the title by the margin they have because Man City could not defend. Manchester City's problem. I think Pep is his, his own nemesis. I I think when it comes to these massive fixtures in these major cup competitions, he overthinks. Uh, I think it's the same sort of thing with Barcelona. This Man City squad, mm-hmm. a but lot the of man their players management too. Pep's man management ain't great either. In well, that no. Sense. Man City are unbalanced, and I think that. Like Barcelona, they've got players now who are getting up there on the wrong side of 30. Mm. Well, they haven't got the squad depth that they once had. And it's okay to have all these world-class players, but they're all in the same positions. So they've got attacking squad depth. You know, your Mahrez, your Bernardo Silva, your Sane, Ferran Torres, who's joined, you know, De Bruyne, Gundogan, um, Phil Foden, who's probably going to take David Silva's place. Um, they, that's okay having all that attacking talent. And somehow Pep finds a way to keep them all happy, which is, you know, to that, I'll give him credit. But it's yeah. the other side that he's always struggled with in his game. And it's why he's not won a Champions League since 2011. You know, with Bayern and Man City, he's been at since then. He's not even come close. No. Because of his lack of tactical awareness when it comes to defending. And like he's, he, he's always been a manager of us, you know. He's, he, he's who you think of when you think of Ticker Taka. He's the association you put with that, or the Spanish national side, which yep. basically was which basically was Barcelona back then. Pretty much. But, I mean, he played in that very system too, as a Barcelona player. But that doesn't work anymore. And yeah. at Man City, yes, you control and possession is still a big part of the game, but it's what you do off the ball with the pressing. And Pep doesn't, you know, he's not a defensive type of manager. And, I don't, and that shows in games because how they've been beaten this season. And like De Bruyne said, um, it's the same year, same story. You know, he said they need to learn how to get through a Champions League because they haven't got the mentality to win a Champions League. No. Anyway, we're sitting here again at, at damn near the business end of the Champions League season and talking about the same shit that a lot of people have been talking about for years with Manchester City, them making an exit. Hefty expectations... No results. Even if they had gone through, they wouldn't have beaten Bayern Munich. They would have been no, torn apart as well. Bayern Munich, bro. No, they would have been torn apart as well. Bayern Munich. The only people, the only side that can beat Bayern Munich is Bayern Munich. That's, that's, would be, that's how I look at it. So it would be though a fairy tale end of the season. If somehow Leipzig and Lyon made it to the final, that would be that would just be amazing. That would. It's be not. Gonna, I can't see. I don't think it will happen. I mean, I think Leipzig will get to the final, but I. I just don't think Leon can stop this Bayern Munich juggernaut. Um, but I do have one question before we move on. I asked you. I think it was over over the over fucking messenger, but just because it's interesting to talk about. Now I know a lot of people who are traditionalists and they like the two-legged affairs throughout the Champions League and other cup competitions. I like this this whole little knockout thing they got going. Where they're so not playing I. the two legs. It's literally, we're going to play this match. I don't know if it's just, and I know our friend Alex could relate to it because obviously Alex and I live in America. And the way we do things in American sports is literally just like that. A bunch of our major sports here are one-offs. And it, it creates, it's enthralling. 
it's entertaining it's awesome and i think it adds to to the to the allure of the champions league if it was played in this format so my question to you is are you are you more of the traditionalist guy or do you like this whole hey this is a one match and a one-off go out there and play some fucking football i prefer the one-offs and i um i think that but the thing is you have to think about um obviously the way it's done at the moment is teams that finish top of the groups in the champions league get an away tie first and that's how it's done so that's the only problem with it i feel mm-hmm. going into the last 16 because it wouldn't teams would claim it as unfair if you know you finish second in the group you have to play at home and again and then some teams might be have a better away record and but they have to remove away goals which i've never been a fan of yes me neither <laughs> so i do like the one-off thing but it has to be done in the right way um because that's again the draw from the Champions League uh, group stages. First place teams play second place teams. So unless you scrap that all together, or you know you put the first and second place teams in a, two separate pots, and then. But yeah, I do prefer it's, it's it's a complicated one because it has to be done in the right way where everyone's happy. But yeah. I do prefer the one-off games. Yes, to get to you, to get to the point. <laughs> I, I I love the one-off games, but you're right. There's so much that would have to be tinkered with. I know in, in American sports we do the whole seeding, like you have your fucking one seed through six seed. But I mean, this is so much more intricate than yeah. what we do on this side of the world. But uh, that wraps up the the Champions League portion of the show. We're gonna do a little Europa League preview. As they're down to their final four sides, and somebody's gonna win this competition and qualify for next year's. Champions League. So we're going to preview first Sevilla against Manchester United. Um, going back to your point, I think three of, uh, these four sides will all be in the Champions League next year anyway, I think. Uh, Sevilla were top four, United were top four, Inter were top four, and I'm pretty sure... Sh- I don't know, but I'm pretty sure Shakhtar up on the Ukrainian League. And I will for- I will actually get that information for you now to see if they made it. I think I they're mean, actually. Yeah, I think it's pretty... Um, I think, you know, I couldn't tell you another team, maybe Dinamo Kiev, but I'm pretty sure Shakhtar will be in the Champions League next season. But as for Sevilla... Sorry, carry on. on. Sorry. I was going to say, as for Sevilla and Man United, I think Sevilla are going to win this game. I think that, you know, if Man United turn up the same way they did against Copenhagen and, you know, not take their chances, I think Sevilla are a much better side. And I think Sevilla have the players that can hurt Man United. Oh... So, Shakhtar, I believe, I'm looking at it, and they will um, they will be in the Champions League next year. So this is just playing for the trophy, not for a position in the Champions League? Basically, yeah. But it could free up a spot in the Europa League. Um, oh, no, it won't work. That's already, never mind. Uh, yeah, so this is just playing for the trophy. There's nothing else at stake. Um, yeah. With it's it's for all these four sides, it's basically it. It's just a trophy. Sevilla, who's won the competition the most in the history, I think, of the competition. I have, yeah. Against United, and I think Manchester United are going to beat them. I just think Manchester United have found their found their um have found their feet and always making the right decisions, and the tactics are on. Are on point. I I think Manchester United beat Sevilla, and if they don't, then it wouldn't be the first time I've been wrong. I think Sevilla can win this because I think United weren't great in the last leg. You know, I think that United they have been a, they haven't been as sharp as they were in the last couple of weeks of the season as they were at the start. I think they're starting to slow down slowly, and it happens to every team. You know, every team goes through those phases. But if United win, it'll be when one of their players falls over in the box and Bruno puts a penalty away. Uh, that's often the case. Yeah, but, but United uh, has found ways to win, though. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you said, with uh, when we were talking about PSG at the top of the show, United has found ways to win. Yeah, but I just think that this, you know, we've seen some, you know, shocks in Europe this week already. Yeah, I just think Sevilla will be robust enough to keep Man United out, and I think they can get a goal themselves because they got some dangerous players. I mean, if ever Manega has a game like he did against Wolves, he was fantastic in that game and he can control the midfield, then they've got a good chance. That might be where this man, this, this fixture is won in the midfield because United has got pace up front to get behind and yeah, cause Sevilla I mean, some, some serious headaches if uh, you know, Rashford and Marcial decide they want to show up. 
Because if either one of those gets behind that defensive line and can finish, they, they can potentially give Sevilla a, a, a lot of trouble back there. I don't know. I, I'd like, I want to keep the, the shocking results in Europe going. I, and I want um, Manchester United to win the match because, one, I don't like Spanish teams. And, two, let's, let's keep, the, let's keep the, the craziness going. It's enjoyable. But wouldn't you say United were favorite for this game? So it'd be more of a shocker Sevilla one. Oh, the, the, I thought Sevilla was favorite. I think United are probably favorite. Um, but as for Sevilla, like you said, with the pace. Add up. If you're Sevilla's coach, wouldn't you say to your defenders, you know, because Regulon's pretty quick, Diego Carlos is pretty quick. Um, I could, Jesus Navas is pretty quick, who's been playing right back recently. So wouldn't you say to those players, just, you know, when we lose the ball, get back into position quickly? Or he could sit the defensive line a little bit deeper to stop the balls in behind. And if they can close Bruno down, there's no service. I would play I would play in a mid block to ensure that I can close Bruno down and man mark him. Yeah, and exactly. Close that service down. Not necessarily half the press because that's fine. It's more of okay, we'll we'll, we'll sit in the mid block and then the trigger will be once they once that ball starts to move towards their midfield, then we can start you can initiate the press there because as soon as that ball comes into Bruno's feet and you got somebody in Bruno's face, we saw that he can easily be neutralized if he doesn't have time to get his head up and pick that pass. But what they don't want to do is give him the time to pick that pass because he will pick it and he's been brilliant exactly. at that. So That's far. why I would just I would sit in the mid block to ensure that there's somebody in that area. And in a mid block, you can still hit him on a counter. I mean, so you want to look at it that way. You can just have Sevilla play on a mid block and look to counter. The interesting thing That's will be who's Sevilla choosing about it. But I mean for United, United United's not that not that bad up front either. United can press United can press pretty well. They actually they did against Chelsea in that FA Cup semifinal. Where I thought they did do a really good job pressing, high pressing especially. But we just outplayed them. Exactly, but that not United going into that with Sevilla. If you can get, if you can press them too, it just it becomes a whole fun tactical tactical chess game because they could press Sevilla high up the pitch too and win the ball, and then they're off to the races too. All I'll hear about Sevilla is they haven't got a world class striker. I mean, it's either Luke Dion, Munir, or El Yanessi. And, yeah. you know, Luke de Jong's probably the best option out of the three. And, you know, Munir and El Yanessi have a bit more pace, which could cause Maguire problems in behind. So Sevilla have that option, obviously, with Ocampos as well. And Suso, who's got some pace. So that, That's funny, though. They, they're they actually evenly matched up now that we're talking about it. I would say they're just about even because the same could said. I said the same about United earlier, where you got players that could run in behind and give people a headache. Yeah, exactly. So it'd be a good game. But I just think that, you know, I think Sevilla will edge it. I think United edge I think I I don't know United two one, and the agreements came to an end. Yeah, we're back to normal, everyone. <laughs> um, Inter versus Shakhtar. Uh, I think this will be a routine win for Inter Milan. Although Shakhtar did have a very good game in the quarterfinals, beating Basel four nil. So never say never, but I think Inter just have the squad players and the the manager, the depth to beat Shakhtar. Yeah, I can't even. Usually, I would not concur, but this one's like obvious. Well, we say we say that now. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say there is the caveat that Antonio Conte has not done well in European competitions, but I mean, it is Shakhtar. I mean, but look at what Inter has. I mean, Lukaku, Martinez, Mar- Laturo, Martinez. I mean, Ashley Young as well, who's been very good since joining Inter Milan. Actually, I was getting ready, I was get ready to go there too. <laughs> Ashley Young's playing quite. well. I don't know what it is Antonio Conte loves the old guys, and they play, Eric- they play great for him too. Christian Eriksen, Brozovic, Gagliardini, Nicola Barella. Then you've got the back three of Bastoni, Godin, and De Vrij. Mm-hmm. You've got... Uh, oh, who's the right wing back? Is it... Um, D'Ambrosio, I think it might be. I think Inter are going to win this one convincingly. I think this may be one of those where it may be like 4-0. I'm going to go 3-0. Oh, I'm going... Yeah, I'll go 4-0. Hey, we're still back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not different, actually doing the... Differing uh, score lines. Uh, the Pickham will be back when the season starts. Um, obviously, we've been missing a few weeks, so he's not kept up with the scores, and there's no, there's not, there's not enough games to do it for this week. But that will be back when the season starts on the twelfth of September. I'm gonna say. Yeah, it is the Premier, tw- the Premier League. It is the twelfth of September, sir. Yeah, so we'll keep up to date with all the other European leagues as well, the top European leagues as well. But um, for now, we're just focused on the European games, and um, if any major transfers happen, we'll cover that in next week's show. But um, yeah, I think that's it for this week, Dave. That is indeed it for that for it this week. Um, of course, let me let me 
tell everybody out there that you can reach the show should you choose to. We are on Twitter at at on the pitch pod one on Twitter. We can be reached via email at on the pitch pod at outlook.com. We have a Facebook page. Put on the pitch pod in the search bar, hit search. And wouldn't you know, it'll fucking pop up. You can put in a request. When you request to join the group or the page, please answer the questions like all of them. And then we will happily accept your request. Um, and that, that's all we got for this week. So thanks everybody for listening. And no matter where you are in the world, we wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night. Thanks for listening. Thank you.